0: This is a Warwick's author, and I hope you'll sit back and enjoy it.
1: And don't skip the ads.
0: Don't skip the ads.
1: I'm kidding. There are no ads. We only have like the outro. and.
0: Well, our ads are good, though. It's Warwick's, you know, support local. Again, the San Diego Writers Festival, which, you know, the whole point of the premise is to bring industry leaders and book authors and publishing experts to you. So, yeah, the ads are important. yeah, san diego dot com. All right, until next time. Enjoy this interview. Well, I met Lee at a publishing con uh, publishing event and he said something. He was the speaker actually and I was listening and he was talking about self-publishing. And he said to everyone, listen, folks, self-publishing is a misnomer. You're not supposed to do it yourself. You need to get help and i thought oh that's so good and i've used it ever since because it's just so right on you know publishing is hard whether you independently publish or you traditionally publish having a team of people and i was just so impressed with you and ibpa by the way if you're an author out there looking to publish a book is a fantastic organization independent book publishers association and i have been with ibpa for over a decade because it was pma when i first started speaking for them but this isn't about IVPA. This is about right. Lee Wind.
1: Well, IVPA is my day job. So, you know, right. I, work, I work for them during the day. And I also do some stuff for the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. And on the side, I'm an author. And it's very exciting because now I'm finally having – I have three books out. Those are the posters you see above my head. Um, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, very exciting.
0: Well, congratulations. Well, I'm going to read your official bio. Awesome. So oh, we'll we'll do that and then we'll get back to this amazing book. Lee Wind says his superpower is stories, true and fictional, that empower kids and teens to be their authentic selves and change the world. His master's degree from Harvard didn't include blueprints for a time machine to go back and tell these stories to himself. So Lee pays it forward with a popular blog with over 3 million page views. I'm here, I'm queer, what the hell do I read? And books for kids and teens, His latest is the picture book *Red and Green and Blue and White*, illustrated by Caldecott-winning illustrator Paul O. Zelinsky, who is also amazing, obviously won a Caldecott, which has also received four-starred reviews. He is the author of the nonfiction. Lee Wind is the author of the. Nonfiction, No Way They Were Gay, Hidden Lives, and Secret Loves, a Junior Library Guild, Gold Star, I'm sorry, Gold Standard Selection, and the YA novel, Queer as a $5 Bill. A Publishers Weekly Indie Success Story. Outside of writing, Lee works for the Independent Book Publishers Association, as we mentioned, as their Director of Education and Programs, and the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators as their official blogger. So there's the, there's the tea on wind, on Lee wind. Yeah. yeah. I do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you do a lot. I don't know how you managed. So how long did it take you to write this lovely book?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, can we measure it in years? Uh, <laughs> so I, yeah. I, I, I found out about like, I kind of the story that had happened, this true story that had happened in December, 1993. I found out about it when my daughter was in fifth grade and now she is a, she's in her first year of college. So that gives you, uh, and she didn't skip any of those grades. That sounds like a
0: decade. Yeah. It's been a while. It's a fallback.
1: But I mean, I wasn't working on it the entire time, but um, you know, I, I think probably it had at least 80 drafts, like 80 completely mm. different approaches. And you know, and then finally yeah. kind of figuring out how I was going to tell it and kind of polishing it and polishing and polishing it. and Then it found its yeah. home and then it got polished more. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, and then, it, then it's, it's out, you know, like publishing is, kind of it's a- publishing is kind of glacial, but man, when it happens, it's very exciting.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is glacial, but then I think once it's actually happening, it feels like everything's moving so fast
1: you like, how am I gonna get Once it Once you're finally done? in it. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's do this. I would like you to read this lovely story to our listeners and our viewers so they have an idea of what we're talking about. It's a, a nice, beautiful, quick read. So I'm gonna turn off my video and I'm gonna hand it over to you.
1: Awesome, thanks. All right, so Red and Green and Blue and White by me and the amazing Paul O.
2: red and green and blue and white, inspired by a true story. On a block dressed up in red and green, one house shone blue and white.
1: Isaac helped his family decorate their big window for Hanukkah. Across the street, his best friend Teresa helped her family trim
2: their Christmas tree. I'll get better
1: at doing this. (laughs) Isaac wrote poems, and then here's his poem. Berries, pine, sky, snow, colors everywhere I go. And Teresa
2: made art. They both loved playing in the snow,
1: counting down to the holidays, six nights till Hanukkah, 23 days till Christmas, and thought you couldn't have too many sprinkles on a cookie. When it got dark, Teresa flipped the switch and her house glowed red and green. Across the street, Isaac lit his family's decorative menorah and his house glowed blue and white. And then Isaac's poem is in the window, blue and white, menorah light. Later, when it was dark and everyone was asleep, shadows approached Isaac's house. Smash! The window shattered, a stone, shards of glass falling. And Isaac, wide awake, watched their menorah flicker out.
2: The adults talked and talked.
1: You'll sleep in our room for now, his dad told Isaac and his sister. Isaac's mom asked, should we light the menorah again? If they didn't, Isaac knew it would be like hiding they were Jewish. That didn't feel
2: right. The next night, Isaac lit the menorah and through the new window, his house glowed.
1: Across the street, Teresa watched the menorah come on and let out a breath She hadn't known she was holding. And here's Isaac's poem sort of dancing out into the night. Blue and white, menorah light, shining bright. She took out paper and markers and drew. When she was done, Teresa added two words and put the drawing up in the window. For Isaac. Through the paper, the light shone blue and white. Isaac saw the drawing and ran outside. And here his poem is sort of dancing across the art. Blue and white menorah light from
2: two homes tonight. The idea grew with more drawings. Their friends joined in. Then their school and their library.
1: Local stores joined in and restaurants and clubs. It was on TV and in the newspaper. Three weeks after Isaac and his family stood tall and Teresa and her family stood up by their side, their whole town was dressed up to celebrate the true spirit of the holidays, the true meaning
2: of community. from more than 10,000 windows came.
1: Christmas tree and menorah light, red and green and blue and white, stronger together,
0: shining bright. I love it. I don't know how many times I've read that story. And every time I cry, it's so sweet and just so touching. I thank you for writing this beautiful book and sticking with it. Because you went through a lot. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm so so excited that it's out. And boy, Paul did such a gorgeous job with the illustrations. It's just, um, it's humbling. It's so beautiful.
0: He really, really did. And I want to talk a lot about Paul. But before we do that, I want to kind of talk about, you know, how did you hear about this story? What was the impetus for writing this book?
1: So it was a conversation with the librarian at my daughter's school, and she was Hmm. telling me about this thing that had happened that she always talked to the fifth graders about. And she said that she wished that there was a a, a way that she could talk to younger kids, to the kindergartners about it. And mm. in fact, there was a kindergartner that was involved, right? Like Isaac was, the real life Isaac was five years old and it was his, mm. actually it was his bedroom window that was shattered by the rock. Um, mm. And so so really it, it, there was a lot about, um, it was a lot about pulling back from like what really happened and trying to tell a, a story a fictional story that was inspired by what happened. but like can i I want to share something really cool? so one yeah. of the one of the real things that that actually happened was that the Billings Gazette, the newspaper of the town, did publish an editorial. They published a number of editorials, but one of them was uh, really remarkable. It was a full page uh, image of a menorah with uh, with an edit with writing on it, right? Uh, an edit an editorial it, in in amongst the, the drawing. And I have a, I have an image to share. I have show and tell. So this, was, <laughs> this look how huge it is. I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four and look how huge this is. So this was in the newspaper and it went out. And this is part of the reason that there were 10,000 menorahs put up all over this town because people took this image. A lot of them, some of them drew menorahs, but some of them took this image and put it up in their windows. So I want to May I read the, um, the, the, the I was... it's so beautiful. Yeah. On December 2nd, 1993, someone twisted by hate threw a brick through the window of the home of one of our neighbors, a Jewish family who chose to celebrate the holiday season by displaying a symbol of faith, a menorah for all to see. Today, members of religious faith throughout Billings are joining together to ask residents to display the menorah as a symbol of something else our determination to live together in harmony and our dedication to the Mm. principle of religious liberty embodied in the first amendment to the constitution of the United States of America. We urge all citizens to share (laughs) in this message by displaying this menorah on a door or a window from now until Christmas. Let all the world know that the irrational hatred of a few cannot destroy what all of us in Billings and in America have worked together so long to build. I just,
2: yeah. wow.
0: I wow. was just so
1: like, I want to make that a picture book, but I couldn't put that in a picture book for kindergarteners. They would just be like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so That's so, incredible. So much of the was... process was coming, coming back from not being so literal, not being, not, mm-hmm. not writing a nonfiction book, but writing a fictional story that centered two kids and yeah. showed that kids have the power to, to, to change the world right now. You don't have to wait to be Mm. an adult. Like the way that that Isaac stands up for himself is that he writes poems, right? And that they lit the menorah again with his his family. And the way Teresa stands up is that she made a drawing and she stood up with her family and they put the drawing up in their window. Like, I feel like we make it seem like you, you gotta wait until you're an adult, until you can do anything to make the world more fair. But no, you can make the world more fair just by being a kid, just by, by doing the right thing
0: yeah 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 and i think maybe sometimes those the right thing is really just something that feels very small but really it can have such a a glowing impact as this did and i think this book will it's it's beautiful oh my gosh yeah all right. Did Just I make you cry crying. again? Oh my
1: gosh, I'm terrible.
0: I am so touched by that. Yeah, this is, where you have to change your superpower from stories to making people cry.
1: <laughs> but for, in, the, in a good way.
0: <laughs> in a good way, in a really good way. I'm super touched. I mean, we look across this country and, you know, there's there's a lot of people arguing with each other, you know, and I'm a firm believer in storytelling can change the world. And I think this, this story, again, you know, like you said, when you show kids something so beautiful and so little, they take it to heart, you know, and I love it. It's beautiful. 1993.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just was going to say that I don't know who said it uh, at first, but, but there is this saying out there about how the way you change the world is you do it one heart at a time. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Heart. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. And you know <laughs> there's two right here changing the world and I know Julie's with us, so I'm gonna say three. Um really, really beautiful can we talk a little bit about you know the process of writing a children's book because i know a lot of our listeners are writers themselves and you know i've heard that writing a picture book is is even harder than writing a novel because you know a novel you can easily write one hundred and twenty thousand words 100 then it's 150 and you get you gotta cut it and yes but writing a picture book i mean it's 32 pages and you have to get the most out the, the largest impact with the least amount of words Talk to us about your process of making that happen for this book.
1: It is incredibly hard to write a picture book (laughs) and to sort of like, sort of crack the code on it. And, and, and it's funny because sometimes I'm like, I cracked it. And I'm like, no, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because really it's like, um, it's like every word has to carry so much meaning. And so but before you even get to like, you're selecting the words, you need a structure. You need, um, it's like, you know, when you see billboards, um, you know, the old fashioned kind, not the electronic kind, but but a, a billboard has this structure of wood, a wood frame, wooden metal frame and something, right? And, it, and then there's this sort of skin on it. That's the advertisement um, or the piece of art. Um, and, Without that structure, you just have a pile of canvas. So mm. I think it's a little bit similar like with, with a book and especially a picture book, which has this remarkable structure. Like there are page turns in a picture book mm. that denote so much, the passage of time, transitions from literal to symbolic. Um, the, the, the page turn is so important. It's such a, an element. I remember Linda Supark was talking about how um, the different tools That writers have and they're like there's words and there's blank space and when you're doing a picture book, you also have the page turn it's this Mm. amazing amazing thing and you really want to lay it out and think about like all right i have 32 pages that's 16 15 or 16 page turns how is the illustrator not drawing somebody's kitchen eight times in a row like you have to think about we're still in the
0: kitchen yeah (laughs) yeah yeah
1: Yeah, they can't just be talking to each other the whole time like you yeah, what what's the scene what's the emotional beats like it is remarkable how much mm. you have to get in there and i actually haven't done it i should i should count how many words are, are in it i don't really know um not very many i was
0: gonna ask you yeah not very many i, yeah. I would guess 400 500
1: i bet i'm betting it's under 500 because well, and also there was this remarkable moment with Jane Yolen, who um, I, I shared an early version of the manuscript with. And at the time, I was thinking of it almost like a song where there was a chorus mm. and and that chorus was mm. Isaac's poem. And it actually kind of repeated. It was like a four line poem that repeated three times. And she suggested that it would be more powerful if the poem built So it was two lines and the next time it was three lines and the next time it was four lines and man, was she right. And I honestly, I I loved that part too. It was like cutting 15 words, but it completely transformed the manuscript and it gave it momentum in a way that Mm -hmm. it it didn't have before. So I think that that's an important thing too, is to get feedback and, you know, have have some beta readers and, you know, have them get it up on its feet a little bit. And when I say get it up on its feet, it's like, literally I took like a blank, little pad of paper and I, you know, I kind of numbered the pages and I just figured out like what's on each page. Like, and then it was completely different when, when Paul did the illustrations, (laughs) like he, he envisioned it differently than I did, but it was okay. It didn't matter because, um, he had his own structure. He, he saw his own beats in the poems or beats in the songs. in in the song that the story was. And that actually was really cool to see. Like, I didn't expect that the, from what 10,000 windows came to be its own spread, but oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, I'm in love with that spread. And I still, every time I read it, I get goosebumps when I get to this page because it's like this amazing call and response from 10,000 windows came and then the illustration is the answer. And you have to read the illustration. And I think- For me, it was so much about like finding, leaving space for the illustrator. And I didn't know it was going to be Paul when I wrote it. Um, Leaving space and then kind of letting go a little bit, which was really scary, Hmm. right? Like I didn't know Paul. I mean, Paul's famous for having so many styles. I mean, he's not only won the Caldecott once, but he's gotten the Caldecott honors three other times. Um wow. and the, the thing he's most famous for like these renaissance gorgeous oil paintings mm. and I just was thinking oh my gosh is this going to be oil
0: painting <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to work yeah it's this is kind of a departure I mean I love these characters and there's just this certain amount of like whimsy and I I think that's important because it's such a serious topic and so if if the if the illustrations had been too serious, I I don't think it would have been as precious. I don't think it would have worked as well, you know? And just like, I just love them with their mouths open, getting ready to eat these cookies. You know, it really came to life and you feel like there's childhood in this book. Yeah, they feel like kids. Like even on the
1: the final page, um, of uh, which I didn't read because it's like the author's note and stuff and the copyright information. But he did, Paul did a little spot art of, what he imagined the moment that the fictional Teresa saw yeah. the, the editorial in the newspaper, the one I just showed. And mm. I just thought that was just amazing. And I didn't expect amazing. that to happen, but yeah, I mean, he made them feel like they were kids, that it wasn't an adult story. And that's what I tried so hard to do in the manuscript. I didn't want it to be an adult perspective. I wanted yeah. it to, so really, cause like how do you talk to kids about a hate crime? Like, how do you talk to kids that some people don't like difference? And I had a lot of really didactic early drafts, <laughs> like the dad explaining, you know, well, some <laughs> people don't like different people. And I was just like, oh, this is terrible. This isn't working. But yeah, I mean, eventually, I, I kind of figured it out. That that just keep to pull back to the the the, the Christmas colors, red and green, blue and white, the Hanukkah colors, yeah. and making it more like. M- Make going into that metaphor and the the, the light and it just all sort of started to work. Mm. And then it went out on submission for a really long see, right? time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. absolutely.
0: <laughs> but, but this, like, it's a color book. It's about colors, which is very childlike and the deeper meaning there's one thing you did. Well, there's two things you did that were really subtle that really brought it home. You know, when he says, you know, hiding that we're Jewish didn't feel right. You, I liked that you were able to be very clear in this book and say these people are Jewish. There's no guessing, right? Because that's a very important message. But in such a way that it was like, I don't know, it was very, it was subtle and I, you know, it, it flowed and it just felt right. Did you struggle with whether or not to say these people are Jewish and how to do that?
1: No, I mean, I thought, I mean, originally I thought like, well, they're celebrating Hanukkah. It's pretty clear that they're Jewish. Um, and that the the earlier version of that line was um, something along the lines of like, it, 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 he knew that if they didn't, it would be like hiding who they were. And that didn't feel right. And part of the editorial process with the team at Levine Corrito was, and my amazing editor, Arthur Levine, was that he said, you know, it, it feels like... This could be interpreted as you're avoiding saying that they were Jewish. And I was like, oh my God, they Well, I don't want to do that. Well, let's just make them I don't do just that, say yeah. it. So, so that's how yeah. that's how the line came to be in its current form. And I think it's so much stronger. Um, and once it was pointed out, right? Like you can't sometimes you can't, you don't have that perspective. So that's why again yeah, well, you can't totally. do it yourself,
0: right? <laughs> Ah, call back again. Well, I I will say that children don't necessarily know what Hanukkah is. You know, little kids may not have heard of it or know that Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah. So I I like that it it was in there. And then the other thing that I thought was really subtle that shows the emotions that the kids had, you know, when she's holding her breath and she let her breath out. She didn't realize she was holding her breath.
1: Oh, yeah, I love that moment. Yeah, because you you wonder, right? Like, what are they going to do? I think for me, that was also another breakthrough, like figuring out that there wasn't just the moment of Teresa standing up. It was the moment of Isaac and his family standing up. And to recognize yeah. that there were really, I guess there were three pivot points in the story, right? Like this bad thing happens. And then the family, Isaac and his family have to decide, are they going to stand up? Or are they going to hide who they are? And then once they stand up, then Teresa decides that well, she's going to stand up to support them. And then her family join, you know, and they they put up the 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 menorah. And then there's the sort of the community response, which is like, yeah, let's not be bystanders, let's be upstanders. So, but putting the two kids at the center <laughs> of it and really trying to make them each have an equal amount of agency felt really important. That's why Teresa turns on the lights Mm. and her house glows red and green and Isaac turns on the lights and his house glows blue and white. Like it was all about, for me, it was all about like, how can I make this really empowering for young kids that are having this Mm. read to them? So I was like, where are my moments? So I was like, Teresa does art, Isaac has poems and you know, how can I get the art and the poems through the whole thing to really show that these kids have agency, these kids, are making our world a better place by standing up for yourself, mm-hmm. by standing up for someone you care about that, that is in some way different from you and in other ways just like you. That's yeah. such a great message.
0: So great. Oh, yay. So you're gonna make me cry again. Knock it ah, off.
1: It's my superpower.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome. Yeah, there's just so many moments and I, you know, Paul did such a good job. Um, it's my understanding you make a cameo appearance Inside the book,
1: I do. I didn't know it, and then he made me kind of cry because I was so moved by it. But yeah, is... uh, he told me, I, and I didn't. I didn't even notice the character. But in in the spread, I'm turning to it. In the spread where it's like, um, you know, local stores, John in and restaurants and clubs. so There is a figure here with glasses and not a lot of hair,
0: holding it's a It's definitely menorah. you.
1: It is definitely me. <laughs> can you see
0: that? It's
1: so cool. That
0: is awesome made me so happy. (laughs) I can see it. And if you look at photographs of you, it's like, oh, that's totally, that's awesome. (laughs) Did you, you know, I know that illustrators and authors are paired together by the publisher, but they don't typically get to talk to each other or ever talk to each other. Isn't that, is that true? Is that how it works? In
1: in very traditional publishing, um, they don't talk at all, ever. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe mm. after the book is out, but not I even after. Knew Paul. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I knew Paul from before, but I also knew that it was very clear that Arthur felt that it was really important that we didn't interact, and that all all and kind Arthur's of the editor through. Our, Arthur's the editor and the publisher. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that Paul said it really well when he was asked uh, this about this and. The fact that we knew each other, but we weren't allowed to talk, we didn't, we knew we weren't supposed to talk about the book.
0: Did you um, sneak talks no, at all? No, we were I'm oh, okay. such
1: a rule follower. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> but but Paul said that it was because the goal for him as an illustrator is to is to not serve me, the mm. author. It's to serve the story. And if he and I are interacting, it makes it emotionally that's more challenging because Difficult. he feels like, yeah. yeah, he feels like he has to make me happy, but it's not about making me happy. It's about making the story work in the best way for the story. So ultimately we were both working in service of this story, which is a kind of yeah. a, an intangible thing that has been made tangible. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, would it have been different if we had been allowed to talk? I, Maybe, but I'm so happy with what he did, so <laughs> it worked. Arthur knew what his stuff.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. I've always wondered, like, why do they not talk to each other? That seems weird, they don't collaborate. But you would color the idea of what you saw would then be in his brain, and you can't get rid of that. So he had to envision it in his own way, in his own creative style without the influence of the author. And when you yeah, think it, of it in those terms, yeah, go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say sometimes authors do a lot of art notes in the manuscript. Mm. Like Isaac's wearing a I have red seen sweater. This. Oh. Like it <laughs> that's not your call as the author. Like um, it, it's it's really like only the most important things that the illustrator needs to know. Like the fact that Teresa wrote for Isaac on the image mm. of the menorah. Like what she drew. Mm-hmm. I needed to let. Art, the, I, otherwise, the story makes no sense. Right. Like. So you'd have to just give like the most the most the least the least a bit of direction because you have to acknowledge that they're they are a creative uh, person and that they have to bring their part to the story and, and it transformed, yeah. it went from my manuscript to our book. Mm. That's what was so like magical.
0: I did, when I was reading it, I thought it's like there's a story within a story because the poem and the art, you know, that's like another layer of story that he has to interpret and figure out how to do that in a way that the, the person reading the book to a child can read both and it works. And he did such a good job.
1: Amazing. The dance, the, the poems dancing across the art, or gra- dancing across the night. Um, yes. And how so everything good. just glows. It's just yep. amazing. And then I also really loved um, his choice to have the poems posted in the window and mm. the, the the words flowing from that uh, in yeah. across the art because then it became this vocabulary that like Isaac was posting his poems and then Teresa posted her, well, I don't know what I'm doing with my hands, Teresa posted her menorah.
0: You're flying um, through the night. <laughs> but it
1: was just so beautiful because it was like an, another way of their they communicating, another way of showing that they, they had agency. And I just
0: thought that was, yeah. It's very cool. Genius. you got it. so excited. you totally got it. I want to ask you a little bit more about you and some of your other books. But before we do that, I want to point something out to our readers. I don't know if you can see this, but there's a spot glass that appears. So this is the broken glass. and here is the hole in the window that Isaac is looking out, right? So it's so well done. And then, Lee, you pointed this out to me. When you take off the jacket, the window is fixed, and everyone's gone home and gone to bed, and the night is still and that was just so lovely there's so much detail in this book and and then also this oh the end papers i know they're like they're like art (laughs) they are art so that's the And actually so,
1: so that's the opening end papers right show the back ones
0: yeah and there's the back red and green and blue and white
1: and how the the quality of the light shifted right like the story went from sort of dark to light
0: even in that's a good point oh he's so brilliant so good (laughs) (laughs) oh paul oh beautiful beautiful book i encourage everyone to buy this christmas let's get this debut author out there known that's my wish for christmas um congratulations thank you let's talk a little bit about your other books because yeah yeah it's my my it's my honor actually. So you've written other books, and I want to talk about why you wrote them. So um, you came out of the closet when you were 17, is that right? 25. Oh, you were 25. Oh my gosh. And so talk about why you've become this loving children's book writer. How did this happen for you?
1: Remember that time machine I don't have the blueprints for? (laughs) <laughs> so I was I was really closeted from age 11 to 25, like actively every single day hiding who I was, and and I got in my 20s I started to to, to be more real with myself, um, but didn't mm-hmm. come out really to the people around me, or, um, you know, until I was like 23. And then not my family until I was 25. Like it was an extremely difficult, long period of of struggle there. And then even after I came out, there was some some years of struggle. Um, it it all it all ended up pretty good. And we all um, <laughs> there's there's a much more loving approach to everything. And we've all come a long way. So when people say that people don't change, it's not true. People do change over time. Mm. Mm. But for me. As a as a gay man, as an adult in my twenties, I went to. um, I I felt like I had to spend a lot of time reliving my teenage years, like because I I wasn't an authentic teenager. I spent my teenage years Mm -hmm. dating girls. I I was just acting, and I felt like, as in my twenties, I was like, well, damn, I missed a lot of stuff. So I kind of felt like I had to go back and and redo some stuff. So there was like a weekend camp in the woods for gay men and part of the activities were, you know, there was, I I don't know if there was archery, but there was like, you know, being in a circle in the forest and talking and holding hands and, you know, doing all this stuff. And one of them was talks. People were sharing their expertise. And one of the speakers talked about the letters that Abraham Lincoln wrote, Joshua Fry Speed that convinced them that Abraham was in love with Joshua. And I was like, what, how is that? I've never heard, how is that possible? So when I got home, um, I went to the library and I got out a book that had all the letters in the sort of appendix um, that Abraham had written to Joshua. And I spent a lot of times dating dating girls. And when I dated them, I felt like I didn't feel what I knew I was supposed to feel, but I was, I sort of judged that it was the thing I was supposed to do. It's sort of what my homophobic, Mm -hmm you know, parents and society and everybody said that I was supposed to do. And and so I was flipping through the letters because uh, history, boring. And then, you know, uh, sorry, that's how I felt. And then <laughs> I, I came upon this one letter and it, <clears throat> Abraham and Joshua had lived together for four years and shared a bed and, you know, read into that, whatever you want. Uh, A lot of historians say that that was very typical at the time on the frontier. Springfield wasn't exactly the frontier, but whatever. Um, I'm I'm less interested in what they did physically than what they felt emotionally. Um, And then Joshua moves to Kentucky and marries this woman named Fanny. And eight months after they're married, Abraham writes him a letter and says, are you now in feeling as well as judgment glad that you're married as you are from anybody but me this would be an impudent question not to be tolerated but i know you'll tolerate it from me please tell me quickly i feel very mm. impatient to know we don't have the answer oh, but we, wow. we we do know it was only like 6 or 8 weeks later that abraham married mary todd and i read that and i got goosebumps cuz that's exactly how i felt when i was dating girls like would the feeling come it never did and i finally got honest with myself and everyone else mm. But I just thought, wow! If I could go back in time and tell tell my 11 year old self, or my 13 year old self that Abraham Lincoln, right, the guy on Mount Rushmore, the the founder of the Republican Party, that you know the, our our 16th president was probably in love with this other guy, uh, it would have changed my whole life. And I just couldn't get it out of my mind. Yeah. And I just did more and more and more research, and I just was like, how how is this not out there in the world as, as that people know it? And so I decided I was going to write two books. Well, I, I actually, I wanted to write a novel, which was um, which became Queer as a Five-Dollar Bill. And the idea behind it was uh, a closeted teen inadvertently dating this girl that he's friends with and it's sort of in the situation I was and discovers the letters and has this moment where he's like, oh my gosh, if I tell the world that Abraham Lincoln was yeah. in love with another guy, then that's going to change everything. Cue the rainbows and the happy ending you know, the songbirds. Um, But I actually think (laughs) if that that happened, it would just be a huge conservative firestorm and media backlash. And and that's what happens in the novel. And I I was really proud of it and excited, but as I was doing the research, I just found more and more and more evidence that Abraham really was in love with Joshua. And then I thought, well, maybe there's a nonfiction book here. But as I said, I didn't particularly like not I didn't particularly like history or in school. It was really taught in a very medicine kind of way. It was really taught very didactic. Like here's a list of names mm-hmm. and dates to memorize. There was never anybody mm-hmm. like me. There was never any guys that liked other guys. Um, mm-hmm. There was never anyone Jewish in history. There was really no never anyone like me. And I just felt completely disassociated from it. So um, then I thought, well. Abraham and Joshua is sort of like the crack in this false facade of history as we teach it, right? Like we teach that, and still my daughter, she went through high school and I, you know, through her old schooling and I saw her textbooks, I could have been mine. And it's like, we teach history is the story of rich, white, straight, able-bodied men from Europe. And- yeah. Uh, you know, and there's so much more history to that. And so it's like, if we take down that false facade, we can actually access the stories of men who love men and women who love women and people who love without regard to gender and people who lived outside gender boundaries, which is what No Way They Were Gay became the book about. Um, and then, and this is a series, it's from Lerner and, um, and it has like 12 different people. Like, so you can see four of them on the cover. There's Mahatma Gandhi who loved Herman Kallenbach, Eleanor Roosevelt who was in love with Lorraine Hickok, Abraham Lincoln, as we talked about, and this is um, Waywa, a, a Native American from the Zuni nation. Um, mm. So uh, it it was so fascinating. And I thought, well, a book about taking down the, the false facade of history, that that sounds interesting. That sounds like chocolate, not like medicine. Uh. So, so that was-, so that was the You wrote-
0: Yeah, wrote you wrote the books you needed.
1: Exactly, right. And I always say like, wow, you if I could go books. back in time and send this book to myself, wow, what yeah. a difference it would make. And then- I Let wrote- me say
0: something though. Yeah, yeah, please. I was going to say, but if that had happened, you wouldn't be who you are today. You wouldn't be so passionate about storytelling. And that's so, that's such, it is your superpower you know, telling stories that help make the world a better place and open people's hearts and minds and give them agency. So I'm, I'm sort of glad that you had to live that I'm sorry, but you know, here you are, we wouldn't change a thing. Right. So yeah, it's interesting that future what, people don't are, have the, to,
1: the challenges that, that we face are the things that sort of forge us into mm-hmm. in, give us give us the strengths that we have based on the, the, the sort of the struggles we went through. It's it's a really, I mean, it's a time space continuum issue, right? Like,
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right.
1: I wouldn't We're, be who I was if I hadn't had that experience and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have written these books.
0: Totally, we've gone over time, and Julie Ooh. has been so gracious to not stop us. So I'm going to invite her back. <laughs> Hi, Julie. Thank you.
3: Hi. Oh my goodness! No, I was like, I'm sitting back here fascinated because I, I've been in the book business for 16, 17 years, mainly on the adult side. So we, you know, concentrating on adult, mainly fiction, but adult authors. And I learned something tonight. I had no idea. I had no idea that children's authors and illustrators did not talk to each other I had no idea that is fascinating oh wow yeah that is I mean that's probably and that's probably like general knowledge <laughs> so, but <laughs> I do people long, know that yeah I know I, know, I don't know people know that but how long do you did it take so once you gave the so do you give the manuscript to your editor and then they find um well I know the, you talked about yeah. the story but you finished the, that. How long did it take for Paul to do the illustrations?
1: so it's um it, it's really the publisher's prerogative to choose the illustrator um, mm-hmm. you know and and you have to be really clear about that, like you are selling your manuscript and then right. it's really their choice. um you know they're very nice, they'll run it by you. they'll let you know who they're thinking of. Um, Arthur was very kind. He did tell me he was reaching out to paul mm-hmm. um uh once Paul accepted it, it all went pretty fast, um, but fast in that glacial way that publishing is. So I think right. he said it took him like eight months to do the art. And then, wow. Um, uh, and and it, what was amazing is that um, just happenstance, he had this availability in his schedule to, to start on it pretty right away. Um, And usually, Mm. so another thing about publishing that I I've learned is that for a debut author like me, um, they try to pair you with somebody with more experience that Mm. librarians and booksellers would recognize and know to Mm. sort of set the book up for success. So oftentimes those people have like their schedules are full and it's like, okay, we're, we're waiting three years for someone to be available. So it was just this wonderful, um, you know, happenstance that, um, for reasons that were, were not wonderful, but, but Paul was able to work on it right away, pretty much. And um, yeah, and so, and because Arthur, who used to be, uh, he was the editor of the Harry Potter series at Scholastic. Wow. And he left Scholastic about two years ago and started his own independent publishing house called Levine Clarido, and which is super brave. And they're doing gorgeous stuff and getting a lot of attention. And so it's one of the first books in in their um, oh. of their season. It's, I think it's the second season. So it's one of their first picture books. Mm. So it all was sort of like so it didn't have to wait a long time on their production side either. So it was kind of amazing, and they were super smart, and they got the books delivered before the crunch of the supply chain stuff. So right. bookstores like Warwick's have it. So we have
3: it. We have it in stock. Yep. And and Chronicle I think is who distributes it for you guys, and that yes. they do a wonderful job. Um, but that's the thing that I don't think there's two things that I wanted to ask. What was it like when you first saw his, I mean, what, what was that? It's like,
0: I was just, you must've just died.
1: (laughs) I was so happy because,
0: you know, it's,
1: I, I, I wrote screenplays for a while. None of them ever got made, but it's like drawing blueprints for a house. That's not going to get built. Right. Like. And like you, you hope it'll eventually get built, but but that was really hard because it just it was never anything. And and a manuscript for a picture book in a funny way is is like a recipe for baking something. It's mm. like it isn't particularly delicious on its own. You need to bake it. You need it needs to go through this whole process to, to, to make the That's magic so of the, the 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 yeasty magic. Let's go with the metaphor, the yeasty magic of the words and the art together. Creating, creating something greater than the sum of, of, greater than just this and this. It creates mm. this new thing, and like seeing the art, I felt like, first of all, I was so relieved that it wasn't oil paintings, um, <laughs> and second of all, because because I didn't want it to feel old. I didn't want it to feel like medicine. I didn't want it to feel old fashioned. I really wanted it to feel modern in a in a or contemporary in a way that also felt timeless. And I, Paul did this magical thing where he did exactly that, and you know his style is so different from book to book. I mean, if you look at you know Zia's for Moose and you look at Rapunzel, it's like how is this the same person?
0: Yeah. But he's he's amazing,
1: and um, I was just I was completely gobsmacked and so happy.
3: Well and I think you you started the conversation about what uh Jennifer I think how you met him and what his comment about publishing and self-publishing. And I think that that is people get impatient and they want to do the self-publishing thing but you sometimes you don't end up with the product that you ended up with and the and the gift that you ended up with yes. by being patient and knowing that mm. the end result sometimes you have to wait for that beautiful end result. Yeah. Um, and yeah, self-publishing can be done quickly. But um, sometimes, I mean, mm-hmm. the the patience and you can get, you end up with something like this that's just going to be a treasure.
0: Um, so, bravo. Amen to that. It's absolutely. <laughs> well said, Julie.
3: Well, well said. it's, you know, it is one of those. <laughs> and the, and the um, yeah. So I was going to ask you too, with, the title did you always know that that was well there's a couple of things writing something in a, in a children's book and getting the the message across that you got it's so hard to make something simple <laughs> but with this big message and so kudos to that but the title too um is a very hmm. simple title but it has so much me so where did that morph mor- morph into
1: So I had, as soon as I figured out that I was going to like pull back and I was gonna tell it with this lyrical thing about the colors, the red and green for Christmas and the blue and white for Hanukkah, I immediately had the title. Mm. The Mm. challenge with the title is that until people understand that it's the Christmas colors and the Hanukkah colors kind of point to put together, it's sort of, it doesn't pack the meaning but once you know that, then it has all the, meaning. and once you've read it, it has all the meaning. It has all the fields.
3: Cause people so, probably want to go red, white, and blue and green. They probably want to do that to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I, it's an interesting thing, mm-hmm. but, but I, I knew that it was the title and I don't titles are really, really hard, <laughs> but I kind of knew it as because I knew that I could, it's like books have to shake hands at the beginning and the end of the book. And for the title to also be the final line of the book, there's just some magic to that. Um, yeah. So I was very happy that I was able to to, to, to make that happen. Um, well, and
3: especially in a children's book, repetitive things are so important. Um, <laughs> And repeating things, and especially for the littler kids and having, you know, I could see a kindergarten teacher, you know, we're going to make a menorah. I mean, I, there's so many activities that they can pull out of this. They can write poems. They can... They could draw art. There's so many things that, you know, yes, it may be a a, a short story in the storytelling, but you can fill lots of time with um, things wrapped around this book for sure. Um, What are you working on next?
1: So um, the Queer History Project, the No Way They Were Gay is actually a series. So I'm working on the second one right now, which is called The Gender Binary is a Big Lie. And mm-hmm. that will come out in spring of 2023. Um, if I can get the manuscript in on time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> if you can get that done. And I was sitting back here when you're talking about Lincoln. Did you ever read Lewis Bayard's book, Courting Mr. Lincoln?
1: No, no. It's I a haven't. novel.
3: It's a novel based on exactly what you were talking about. Oh. It's fantastic. I loved it. That's exciting. Because
1: um, when I was doing the research, really, there was only two books that had ever been published um, that mentioned it. And um and you know, nothing for kids.
3: no so. well, this is an adult book, this isn't a kid's book, um, but it's a great read. Um, I think it was cool. twenty nineteen, I think it came out. Oh wow. i have to
1: order that from Warwick's.
3: Yes, yeah. Court- <laughs> courting Mr. Lincoln. Yes. So, anyways, um we are, as you said, out of time, not out of time, but we've 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 We maxed our time here. I think it was a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Lee, for being with us. And Jennifer, thank you, as always, for conducting a great interview for us. Um, My pleasure. Best of luck with everything, Lee. Thank you so much. I really
1: appreciate
0: it. Will your star continue to rise? Yay. Yay. I hope so. I think it will. I feel very... I I think it will. Yeah, spread really Let's spread
1: more light. Let's spread. I love light. it. Let's, let's let the star spread. be the light. The book is Absolutely. I
3: love yeah. it. <laughs> all right. Good all night, right. everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye.